anyone driving up to Wyoming to see the eclipse? I wish I could, but it's, those crowds are going to be... I think we can settle for, like, what is it, 95%? Yeah, we're going to have, like, a 90-something percent eclipse. I think I'm fine with that. I think yeah. I can settle for that. Like, I've heard shit like uh, campgrounds been booked out two years now. Oh, years yeah. No, like, they're yeah. saying it's going to be, you like, can't find mm, a hotel traffic jam. Now. Well, they... Like, they're like importing cops from around the nation. Do they import cops? Well, like I don't know, but they're cops? they're like doubling down on all that yeah, stuff yeah, to like yeah. stop you from just pulling off on the side of the highway right. to watch yeah. it and doing yeah. all sorts of. But like, yeah, you can't get a hotel room in the state of of Wyoming. Oh well, yeah, there's like, like there's like less. Which than is probably like yeah, the best thing that's ever happened. State of Wyoming. Like the best thing that's happened to Wyoming, and for as far as tourism so, goes, since like happened since happening to have Yellowstone in it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, got... even that though, because like you can see Yellowstone anytime. Yeah. Like this yeah. is like once in a lifetime event. So. Well, they've also got Cheyenne Frontier Days. Yeah. Uh, still, I, that's, that's I a mean, lesser thing, but again, a once in a lifetime event versus and, and recurring you, things. You, you can always see Yellowstone until Yellowstone blows up. Well, yeah, until and yeah, then we're not seeing anything. <laughs> <laughs> then this whole part of the country is dead. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Planet? Fault lines. <laughs> Probably yeah. planet. <laughs> Anyways, are we ready, guys? Yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to yet as I hack my way through yet another episode of I want you to watch this I am your host as always Dennis and I am joined by my two co-hosts Colin and Craig how are you two beautiful men how are you both <laughs> I'm doing great having a little staycation it's been all right fairly boring but yeah fun <laughs> Yeah. I, I'm fantastic, Dennis, because we're going to talk about Fargo. Yeah, yes. we are. Uh, we're returning back to our director's block, uh, the Coen Brothers. Um, this is uh, Craig's pick. Um, do you guys want to talk about anything before we launch into this shit? Oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm chomping at the at the Fargo bit here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty amped for Fargo. I just watched this last night, so um, this is going to be fresh, fresh, fresh. Yeah. So take it away, Craig, as you introduce Fargo. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I just decided to write up a little thing here let's hope it doesn't get too long i haven't really tested it out but let's go with it you guys let's go so uh jerry lundergaard played by william h macy is a car salesman in debt trying to keep his indiscretion secret from his wife jean lundergaard and her wealthy antagonistic father wade he arranges to have his wife kidnapped by carl showalter played by steve buscemi and gayer grimsrud played by peter stormare Things take a turn when Wade decides to go through with the deal previously proposed by Jerry, and he tries to call off the kidnapping. The mechanic he got the contacts uh, for the kidnapping is unable to reach Grimsrud on short notice, and the kidnapping goes forward as planned. At the meeting with Wade, he is told that he will be paid a finder's fee, but not receive the full funds to make the deal himself. His resolve is steeled by the time he gets to his home and the scene of his wife's kidnapping. On the road with Jean, Carl and Grimsrud are pulled over by police because Carl forgot to place the temporary tags on the car. Carl's smooth words and subtle bribes are not enough to blind the officer to their suspicious nature, and he begins to give the guys the rundown. Um, and as he does, Grimsrud unexpectedly lunges and quickly kills the man. As a couple in the car drive past and see Carl trying to dispose of the body, Grimsrud chases them down and kills them as well. Marge Gunderson, played by Francis Dorman, is called to the scene in the early hours uh, to assess the situation with an incisively insightful, uh, incisively insightful nonchalance. She is quickly on the tail of Carl and Grimsrud uh, once her investigation begins. Jerry, in the meantime, is trying to get his father-in-law to cooperate with him on arranging the ransom and fails as Wade and Stan decide to take over the handoff and negotiations. 
Things start to get worse for him once Marge finds Shep and is soon after led to Jerry himself. She asked if the tan Sierra that Jerry gave to the kidnappers uh, turned murderers was stolen, and he denies any cars have been stolen from the lot. Carl is found by Shep, after which he immediately calls Jerry to demand the money. Wade goes instead, prepared to threaten the kidnappers to get his daughter back. When she isn't there, he refuses to hand over the money, and Carl shoots him. Wade is still alive and shoots back, grazing Carl's face. Carl unloads the rest of the clip into Wade and runs, exiting the parking garage just as Jerry enters. A call with a friend prompts Marge to question Jerry one more time about the Tan Sierra, but this time he flees the scene under the guise of taking an inventory check. Carl buries the majority of the money, pulling out the $80,000 he and Grimsword were promised for the job, and returns to their hideout. While he was away, Grimsword has killed Gene Lundergaard and ends up killing Carl over who gets the Sierra. Marge discovers him feeding Carl into a wood shepherd after spotting the car while searching for Jerry. Jerry is apprehended by police in a motel room, crying and screaming. The movie ends with Marge and Norm having a conversation about stamps. They announced it. They announced it. The tree scent. People don't much use the tree scent. (laughs) Oh, but they do. Well, I actually think that the final scene of this movie is really incredibly beautiful. And it's like the movie, it like really ties the whole thing back together because it's so grisly. But like Marge and Norm are our anchor. They're our rock through this whole movie. And the final scene is like a perfect bow just to say, even though there's all this like ugliness, like there's still a lot of beauty to be had as well. Well, Well, even throughout the movie, Marge very much plays that role. Like she's very much very level headed and calm, like when viewing and 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 um, and explaining this triple homicide and, you know, deducting what's gone on. She's like, you know, this like Midwestern Sherlock where she's literally just like in this like hokey kind of accent, just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, they shot him in the head here and walked down and then they pulled down the yeah. road and there was a chase. And, and that's then why he you shot see the other this two. execution style yeah. here. Yeah. Well, sure seems like a nice enough guy. Yeah. 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 But that's like another thing about this movie is that it's like a lot of people in Minnesota and in the Midwest think that the Coens are making fun of them, but they are and they aren't it's a thing that um in their episode on oh brother art thou devin farachi on the canon says that the coens like to both like poke fun at and love their characters right and that's very evident in this like no, they're, yeah. they're kind of poking fun at that minnesota nice thing but they're also like being very loving about it well yeah. it's kind of like that um kind of you know like the british mentality of you know carry on you know it's kind of like throughout this movie that's that kind of persona that Marge has is just kind of like, yeah, sure. I'm dealing with this gruesome murder, but we, I have a job to do and I need to get to it and I can't be clouded by, you know, emotion or, you know, have this, like, I can't be overwhelmed by, you know, the gruesomeness of the scene. And so well, I feel like she's been trained and she's like had, you know, experience yeah. as a police officer to know. Right. Like, like, hey. Well, I, I think like the, the, like Colin said, like, well, like the, the closing scene, um, why it's great and why it works for me is that it shows how this movie is just a day in the life of of margie you know yeah and that this is just one case that she's like oh you know i'll well, solve it's, it's unusual because it's a triple homicide like you don't get yeah that they don't they don't get that every day often in brainerd minnesota no but they but, don't they don't blow it out of proportion yeah either you but know? also the, the fact that we're faced with like the triple homicide and like all this grisly stuff that's no reason to not be polite 
Yeah. Well, yeah. No. And, and like, that's evident in, the, like, all of, like, you know, Jerry... The, the scenes of her and yeah, Jerry. Yeah, yeah, the scenes well, of her yeah. and Jerry. And, and, and you know, uh, Jerry's whole you know, sociopath is based off of, like, taking advantage of this Midwestern kindness, you know? Oh, yeah, and that's that's even shown early in the movie when he's bilking people on the true coat. Yeah. Right. When he's, like, giving them this option on the car that they don't want and, like, making them pay for it. And, like, the guy will still, like, be really nice and be like, no, I told you here we didn't want the sealant there, and these guys, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's, uh, like the whole thing, I don't know. Like, I, I went into it because, I mean, the things that I've noticed, like, lately from Coen Brothers movies is just how nihilistic and, like, almost pointless like the the whole overall story of the movie is and i think this is their least that's what i was gonna say is like like this movie like shit gets fucked up i mean my second note in this is that this movie goes from zero to brutal in like no time flat you know it's all back to all the time it walks this strange line like of it's this lightheartedness with these like with dark shit underneath and like and and it's in, but even even in its lightheartedness, it's still kind of heavy. Like when she meets her old high school friend at the yeah. yes, and that's one of those things. Like I still don't quite get the point of that well, scene. It of was the because, whole Mikey Onagita storyline. Well, so because that's what signals her to go back and talk to Jerry again because she finds out like oh this person was like I I kind of like fell hook line and sinker for this story this person was telling me and. Like she finds out after she calls her friend and he tells her and she tells her like, oh, no, like he was never married to her. She's still alive. She's fine. Like that entire thing was a complete and total act. And so that's kind of like what like sparks her to go back and talk to Jerry again and kind of like take a second look at that. So I definitely I love that scene. Oh, okay. And I love how they brought that back okay. and made that play into the movie again, because that, that was yeah, that definitely I that stuck out for me. I see that. I, I always took it that like. She she saw through Jerry's bullshit at the get go, and she's like, "Okay, I'm gonna come back to him later," you know. Yeah, and, I don't. But, I don't think she did the first time. I think she was kind of like, you know, just kind of like doing like a standard kind of investigation, and wasn't really like having her eyes on him because because well, the second time she comes around, she's like, "No, I need to see. Like, right. I need well, to see some just inventory. A, it's I just need a to curiosity see. thing. It's like, have you had any cars go missing? Yeah. And it's not until she actually digs into it that she's like, oh, wait a minute. Like, the guy called this same place, so there's got to be a connection. It would be weird if, like, the yeah. car didn't go missing from this lot. Right. And but it, it, I guess it's just more of, like, William H. Macy's phenomenal performance in this movie. And this is the movie that put him on the map. Really? Me. Yeah. His career before this, he was kind of a little-known, you know, uh, character actor. Very small parts and lots of things. But this was the movie that really got oh him noticed. And turned him into the Bill Macy that we know today. He's amazing. Because, like, in that first scene with him and Margie, in, the, in that first interview with him, like where he's like you can see the tension in his like in everything yeah that's going on and that's why i just assumed that like you know margie was just like hmm he's obviously hiding something you know but it's just like such and it's such amazing world building that what william h macy does and like i don't know it's just a testament to like the coen brothers like writing characters and casting yeah. them so well well and also another thing with um mike with that whole thing was when he calls her the first time after seeing her on TV, he calls her by her maiden name. And then one of the things that I noticed is like, she says, oh yeah, that's me. But then at the same time, it's like, as her husband is literally putting his like ring hand over her body uh -huh. in that shot, is that exactly like when that's happening? And so like, 
I definitely felt that that was another like that Mike thing definitely like was playing into her character was playing into her kind of um, like her niceness kind of over like taking like her her sensitive like her sensibilities a little bit in yeah. certain areas like her just kind of like having these little blind spots in terms of like just kind of like nice guys because she was like on the phone with this guy and it was it was pretty clear from like even when they were on the phone that you know he was interested right but she's just kind of like oh yeah you know like you know it's been fine and and then they like end up meeting and that's when kind of things kind of like make this weird turn but she still doesn't really even see like how much manipulation is being involved in that moment until she gets on the phone with her friend and so i feel like that's just kind of her like just a little thing with her in terms of recognizing you know like this niceness as a facade like just and her use she uses it so well that i feel like maybe she doesn't even like maybe it's just like within her then she just uses it but right. she doesn't necessarily see when it's been using been used against her yeah so that's just my personal like look at what i thought about looking at that scene with mike specifically yeah Hmm. Uh, want to circle back to two things real quick uh, first bill macy um got a supporting actor nomination for this movie um, oh, really? and the second is kind of going back to what we were touching on about the nihilism um i feel like if this was any other coen brothers movie it would end with the scene of her with peter stormare in the police car of her saying like you you killed all these people and for what for a little bit of money like there's more to life than a little bit of money don't you know that right and it would end there. We wouldn't have that last scene showing us like warmth and showing us goodness in the world. We would just be like, yeah, life's meaningless. No, I disagree because it's not that like I didn't get the feeling that because well, like this is different from the other Coen brothers outside of just that because like there's just there's more world in this you know like like for some reason william h macy's son plays the accordion and he's obsessed with accordions and like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't play into anything but that's just like one little example you know or like well like well, there's just like a world like going on outside of all this like just just Mar margie's whole life you well, know part it's of the world just... building is that this this is where they're from they grew up in minneapolis right so they went back home to make this movie and so it's this whole thing of like we're setting this whole story in this place that we grew up in well honestly and i feel like the thing too is even like with that whole like doing it for the money thing like i don't think that grumsrud was doing it just for the money like i don't think this was just i think he's, no, he was and i think weirdo. that that's another like blind spot for her that was another blind spot moment for her of like her just thinking that oh well like this is all just for the money and it's like no he like He's done some shit that wasn't necessarily for the money, and I'm pretty sure, like, he, at the very least, like, didn't care or, like, enjoyed it. Like, right. And so I definitely feel like that was, like, it wasn't just for the money for Grumsworth. Like, it was definitely, like, him just being a sadistic fuck. He was, yeah, and, he like, was a Because if it was really about the money, then he would have kept Gene alive. Like, now, well, let me ask was, you this. Who did Shep vouch for? He vouched for Grumsroy. That's what that was the thing. Oh, I was really? like, yeah, yeah, no, I was he like, vouches, how the fuck did he vouch for? He vouches for Stormare, and then it's it's Buscemi who like fucks everything up. Buscemi does but, fuck yeah, shit up. Uh, well, he does and he doesn't. I mean, like, they both pretty much fuck things up. Like, I mean, I mean, they get pulled over. Like that was gonna like, happen. But they're getting. But he got pulled over because he, he didn't, didn't put, put the tags, tags on. on. Yeah, and also they're being tracked. They get tracked down because Buscemi was being a loudmouth at the bar. Yeah, right. Okay, and he was funny looking. That was one of my funny. Oh, just in a general sort of way. <laughs> he was funny looking more than most people even. Yeah. <laughs> so you were having sex with the little fella then? Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. 
<laughs> I can tell you he was uncircumcised. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he wasn't circumcised. Like uh, anything else funny looking about him? I don't know. Just kind of in a general way. I love. I love the guy that calls it in. He's like, oh, that's like my I, yeah. favorite scene yeah. in well, the I didn't, movie. I didn't think much of it, but then I came home and the <laughs> wife told so me I should call it in, and so I did. End of story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I called it in. End. It's so great. And then they. Well, you're right. It's probably nothing. Right. But thanks for calling it in. And then they look up at the sky and go, Boy, it's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you see how, yeah, just like that level of just like, just like, it's like almost like inane. Like, they're just like dealing with this like triple murder investigation and like, who knows? But then it's like, Oh yeah, like when they when they first show up to the first triple homicide, it's like she's like, "Where is everybody?" It's like, "Oh, it's cold." Like, <laughs> you know, and they just stayed home like for a triple homicide because it was when cold. When is a sheriff? <laughs> also, like, and also the other thing we haven't mentioned is that she is seven months pregnant. Yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> wicked pregnant throughout this movie. I love that first scene though when she gets to the triple homicide and figures it out in like no fucking time at oh, all. Oh yeah, it was just it's just so cool. I, like. I, the I movie love, just like kicks off running. She figures again. it out, and then she's driving around with her uh, deputy, and he says, "You wrote down uh, in the space for the plates DLR." So I figured they shot him or got him before he could finish it. So I have the state hall looking for taxis. I'm not sure I agree with you 100 percent on your police work. <laughs> I think maybe it had dealer plates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we've been talking about Marge and Frances McDormand. Uh, Frances McDormand is in most Coen Brothers movies. She is the wife of joel cohen um and she won a best actress in a leading role oscar for this movie oh really she did well deserved yeah, yeah and the, the cohen brothers won uh best original screenplay and it had nominations for uh best picture uh best supporting actor for bill macy uh best director and best cinematography and best editing Wow. One of the many uh, Oscar slights for Roger Deakins, who has been nominated countless times and never won, and that is criminal. Really? He still hasn't won? He's never won, but he's gotten like a crazy number of nominations. That's amazing. Yeah. Because it's just such a gorgeous movie. Um, well, let me ask you this, guys. Um, how much of this actually takes place in Fargo? Not very much at all. <laughs> no, that's just yeah. where... So that's where um, Grimsrud and... And Carl are from. That's where they're coming that's from. That's where they first meet. Where they meet is in yeah, Fargo, yeah, that's, yeah, that's where Dakota. they're coming from. Yeah, the, the bulk of the movie takes place in like Brainerd, Minnesota. Yeah. Right. And then does it? Do they go? And then that's Fargo where they end, right? Is that? Do they end in Fargo? No, no, with I the thought wood that was like outside of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, that's right. It is outside no, it, of the it's Twin still, Cities. It's still Minnesota, at least because it's like White Bear Lake or it's Moose Lake. Yeah, like it's, it's got. So be yeah, Minnesota. like literally, Fargo like is like just where they barely even meet, in the movie it's like at it. the opening bar yeah so yeah that's i mean i guess it's like uh, where everything got kicked off so that makes the, sense the opening bar where if you look there's a guy watching a, uh the pool game who looks just like george rr R. martin really <laughs> no, <that's laughs> fun. I, I watched this with my wife and she's like that guy looks like george rr R. martin and i was like oh my god he does <laughs> Um, this movie might be my favorite example of, uh, um, well, I don't know, that's hard. Oh Brother has some amazing Coen Brothers dialogue, but this has some of my favorite Coen Brothers dialogue. Just Are you talking about, like, how they repeat things? How yeah. How they, they use, like, circular, right. like, Well, language. I mean, you know, yeah, just, like, just how 
Coen Brothers styles their movies and their dialogue, and like a, the best example is um, the father-in-law, the rich, the rich father-in-law and his assistant Ward these, and Stan. Yeah, yeah. Where the assistant just like kind of repeats. He's he's like the nice cop, you know. Yeah, he's like, and this, we're not like, a bank, Jerry. Yeah, and this like bad cop, good cop <laughs> thing that's just like it's so weird, you know. Like they they love to make these cartoon characters out of their like peripheral characters, and I it's so much fun to see how. Like, their leads will play with these, like, side-off, just whack jobs. Um, in Hail, Hail yeah. Caesar is a great example of, like, like Tilda Swinton. It is. You know, yeah, Tilda, Tilda Swinton, Swinton in, in that, and also just the scene with um, Rafe Fiennes and the cowboy. Yes. In Hail Caesar. Um, in this movie, my per- my favorite example of, like, that dialogue is Norman Margie in that first scene where he's like, I'll make you some eggs. Like, oh, or yeah. you can sleep in. It's like, you need to eat a breakfast, Margie. Right. And like, it just keeps saying, you need to break, eat a breakfast, I'll make you some eggs. And it keeps, like, it's all interspersed, but he keeps saying the same things over and over again, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I love the little extensions of scenes. Like, right after that, like, she goes to her car, and then she's in her car for like two seconds, and then she comes back in, and she's like, needs a jump. <laughs> Prowler needs a jump. <laughs> yeah. Also, two of my, just speaking of, like, dialogue in this movie, just two of my favorite just words in general from this movie were asperity and unguent. (laughs) Uh, Those are two of my favorite words in this movie. (laughs) She's like, it's when once when when, um, Gene is talking to their son... And he's like, you know, being like, it's you know, that disparity uh, he's that bugs your disparity. Mom yeah, he's being, yeah, he's being like, you know, a shitty teenager. He's just being a teenager. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> she's like, yeah, it's that disparity. And then the other one is, yeah, after she bites, after Gene bites uh, Grimm's Road, he's like, I need Unguent. Unguent. And Michelle's like, what? I need Unguent. She's adorable. She's great. <laughs> she, she is. Like, she really deserved, like, the best actress for this movie. Because, like, she just brings this character to life in such a perfect yep. way. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, I think the <laughs> the saddest element in this movie is uh, William H. Macy's wife. The poor woman oh, just yeah, gets kidnapped. Oh, yeah, that poor woman. And, like, I mean, the whole, like, the, it's just, it's so, I mean, it's it's, like, no country for old men level of fucked up. Well, it's because it's, like... I mean, there, at no point is there really anyone in this movie like who deserves what they get less than her. Like, right, exactly. She is, or the son, maybe you know. Well, he this, doesn't like nothing he, bad happens to him other than his mother. His dying. whole family yeah. falls apart. Well, yeah, his mother dies <laughs> and his father gets taken to jail, like, and apparently just runs away without like yeah. giving him any. Like he just fucking left his son. He's just, a, like the well, biggest. He also shit. forgets about his son entirely because it's. When, uh, after the kidnapping has first taken place and he's talking to the accountant, um, Stan, and he's there and he's like, oh, is Scotty going to be okay? And he's like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, Scotty. Yeah. Like he forgot Your entirely fucking son. about how this is going to impact his son. Right. Like he didn't even think about it. And, and Jerry is such a complete sociopath in this movie. Oh. And it's just, he's masks it with this whole Minnesota grinning like, oh yeah, okay. Well, it's because it's like, he gets the, well, he has these moments where it's like, you're used to like the like, you know, the sociopath just being like this like standard kind of cool, common, collected type of person. But then it's like, it's kind of like that t- that thing where it's like when you see things like start to unravel for the sociopath and you see them starting to like panic. Right. Like that's like kind of Jerry throughout this entire movie. Like he yeah. had to plays that panic 
like that like where it's like because like from the point that we started this movie he's pretty much on the brink already right. and it's like well, he's yeah, already he's, in debt like he's already like can't what tell is his he in debt to? they never really they say. Never say yeah so but, it's like he's in debt like and his he, like he can't go to his you know father-in-law and he can't tell his wife about it so he's like on the brink already and like throughout the entire movie it's like he's doing anything he can and possibly can to like make sure he gets out of this okay right. like without any regard for anyone else's well-being right but you still kind of like have this like twinge of like like, oh, that poor guy. But it's like, but, no, you're, yeah, he's, he, just, they, he, he's but just. That's Macy, and that's yeah. how good he is. Yeah, he's yeah. Just, is that even yeah. though he's he's a sociopath, and the thing is, like, he's a sociopath, but he's a bumbling idiot. Yeah, and so like he's screwing everything up constantly, and but he still has this charm and this charisma that makes you like him somewhat throughout the movie, even though he's terrible and he's only <laughs> doing horrible things. I know it's a it really is amazing because if it was anyone else, would be like, "Well, fuck this guy." Yeah, but like he just pulls it off so well that you you have sympathy for him. It's, and I think I, I, I just want to point out like the thing that like like the moment of like that just like terrifies me raw is after he comes home and sees that they followed through with the kidnapping and he and then he's like near the phone and he's practicing yeah <sighs> well that's what i was gonna yeah. say that, that actually exactly where i was going is like yeah that scene of like that that kind of like those couple of scenes like leading into that and into that and in that scene yeah are very much like a perfect portrayal of his character in terms of oh he's worried that this isn't going to go according to plan or he's like oh i figured this out like her dad's gonna pay for this or gonna like let me do this. So, oh crap, I need to like cancel that kidnapping. Not because I care about my wife, but because now it would look bad and like, and now there's no need for me to do it. And then as soon as he finds out that he's just gonna get the finder's fee instead of like the principal amount of the investment, he's like right back on board again. Like as soon as he walks into that house, like, I mean, you can tell like he went to the grocery store to kind of like give them more time and kind of like walk in and like have his groceries and be like, Hello, like right. it, it was very much like you could see like that he was, yeah, he didn't give a fuck about her. He no. just cared about what he was, what right. was going to happen to him at the as end. Long of as day. his plans, are and gonna then just work watching out. him at the end there, just like that bawling, just like crying heap of just like being like pushed into the fucking right. mattress. Just like that's exactly how this yeah. needed to end for him yeah, because yeah. there's <laughs> just no, <laughs> and like and it's it's you know also evident in. When he gets that, um, like, the meeting through with his father-in-law where he's like, oh, maybe I could get money through this. And he, like, tries to call off the kidnapping. He doesn't try very hard. Oh, yeah, no. You know, he, he's like, oh, I can't get a hold of them. He's like, oh, you know, hopefully oh. Shep understood what I said. Yeah. Get the message across, <laughs> you know. Uh, poor Shep. That's another character that's just like. I mean. I mean, well, Chip, I, I don't have that much sympathy yeah. for because because he like, was the one that arranged the whole thing and so. he had arranged it and then he, yeah, I, there is a, the great scene when he figures out that uh, he beats Buscemi, Buscemi like <laughs> yeah, he screwed him with him the he's belt. just beating the crap out of Buscemi <laughs> and like is the hooker who Buscemi was on a date with and this is one of the funniest things when she's just riding on top of him like all right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Okay. <laughs> All right. And then Shep storms in and like rips her off of top of him and he starts beating the crap out of Buscemi and she's running away and he kicks her in the butt like yeah. really lightly yeah. but he yeah. still kicks her in the butt. Get out of here. Get out of here. That's great. That, that, that whole series of events has a lot of great lines in it. Like, like when they're at the club or whatever together and he's they're like making small talk and he's like, you know, talking to a prostitute and he's like, 
It's like, so how do you like the escort business? And she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you even? Well, doing? that's the thing. Is like, yeah, I mean. <laughs> and, then, and then when Shep like pulls her off of him, like he goes, "Hey, Shep, I was fucking that girl." <laughs> I think he says I was banging her, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. still. <laughs> well, that's the thing too. Is like, yeah, you see like these two characters, and it's even like they are kind of juxtaposed against each other in terms of like Bushimi and Starmere and how their characters interact and i mean i guess like the way they treat whores is kind of an indication of like you know he's like prostitutes they're perfectly fine well they're always nice to the prostitutes well yeah but then it's like you know he's like oh taking her out like i mean like he takes her to a jose feliciano yeah grim run would never like take like a whore to the celebrity room you know it's (laughs) like it's like he has this like idea of like you know himself and like well, himself as a person he uh, also it, isn't really interested in getting a prostitute it's all buscemi like he just wants pancakes yeah he, like where's pancakes house yeah <laughs> which right. is actually how it was scripted and he delivered that line differently he was like this has got to be a typo like where is the pancake house and they like cut hey peter uh could you just do it like it's pancake do it as it's written he's like whoa really that's actually it and they're like yeah there's no typos in our scripts (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah we don't do typos (laughs) (laughs) where's pancakes house (laughs) he was terrifying he is and (laughs) he's great and he's in like a few of their movies they originally wanted him for miller's crossing uh, but he couldn't get out of doing a play um, somewhere. I thought you were going to say, like, No Country for Old Men. Or what was the... Is that Javier Bardem? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's... Well, I, that's I could see him in that role, too. that's also much later than this, but... I know, but I could see him in that role, too. <laughs> but, but they yeah. did... He couldn't get out of a play he was doing. It, it might have even been in Sweden, but... Um, they wanted him for Miller's Crossing and they couldn't get him, so they brought him on for this movie. And then, like, two years later, they bring him back in The Big Lebowski. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah he's yeah. the main, like, right. nihilist yeah. uh, German guy. <laughs> don't worry donnie they're nihilists they're not gonna do anything <laughs> we believe in nothing <laughs> all right well that kind of wraps me up for fargo oh um, i have so much get some more colin <laughs> um uh first of all I'll just do my standard uh stats on this movie uh 8.1 on imdb uh 94 on rotten tomatoes 93 percent audience tomatoes a uh, budget of seven million dollars with a worldwide gross of 49 million. holy shit they made um, this on seven million they made this movie for seven million dollars damn um the title card at the beginning of the screen that says this is all based on a true story is a complete and total lie right uh they made this up entirely um it's actually kind of fitted together from a series of different incidents that have happened throughout like the upper northwest uh, upper midwest um but yeah it's one of those things bill macy came up to the cohen's uh during the filming was like tell me about the case about the real case and they're like what are you talking about like well there's a title card that says it's real and they're like no we made it up he's like you can't do that (laughs) sure we can watch us (laughs) (laughs) sure we can we're the cohen brothers (laughs) um in uh one of the documentaries on this movie the cohen's describe minnesota as siberia but with family restaurants (laughs) (laughs) that is good um 
So this movie, one of the great things about it is these long, beautiful shots by Roger Deakins of open space with all this white snow, this canvas everywhere. Yeah. They actually shot this in one of the warmest winters in Minnesota oh, really? in a century. Oh, my god. So gosh. they had to make most of the snow. Really? So, yeah, the snow was, like, made and trucked in for all of these shots. And there are certain shots, like, um, where if you look at in the far background, you can see that there's not snow yeah. in the far background. <laughs> so How frustrating. Um, the other thing that I did is I watched this movie and then I watched the commentary track with uh, Roger Deakins. Okay. Um, one other thing that wasn't from Roger Deakins but uh, is from uh, just research on this movie is that because they said it was a true story, um, unfortunately a Japanese woman um, came to America looking for the money in Fargo and when she didn't find it, she killed herself. What? Yes. Wow. 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 Why? All right. I mean, I don't really. I, I don't say that's really blame them necessarily. I would say that's like. I would say that's unfortunate. Yeah, but like, it sounds like she's she was willing to offer herself. Yeah, that seems yeah, <laughs> like not in any way. So the, uh, <laughs> all of this is. is uh, I'm sorry, I just. <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't expect that. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, she came and then, you know, she got in some trouble and now she got arrested. No, and then she killed herself. A woman looking for the money from Fargo killed herself. That's like, what? All right. All right. Um, So the rest of these are just things that uh, Roger Deakins, uh, fun facts from Roger Deakins on the commentary track. Uh, The statue of Paul Bunyan was built for this movie. There isn't a statue of Paul Bunyan in uh, Bringer, Minnesota. Um, The Coen's um, storyboard everything like even when it's the most simple of shots and like he spends most of this commentary just saying oh yeah this was real simple just an over the shoulder oh this was real simple just a two shot it, like most of this movie it's just it's just so simple and i love how simple they are and even when they're doing that if they're just doing like over the shoulder over the shoulder two shot over the shoulder they will storyboard it all really because they just like to be as prepared as they can possibly be That's uh, another pro- thing I, bet, I wonder how the rest of their budgets go i wonder if they're prepared in Helps to keep their costs, yeah. though. Uh, speaking of their storyboards and how uh, meticulous they are about that, the guy in the red jacket who's running away, the witness who gets shot yeah. in the field, he's the storyboard artist. Oh, for really? The Coen Brothers. Oh. Um, so he also, um, in that sequence, <coughs> the, they wanted um, the characters, like the bad guys in the beginning, to be surrounded by blackness. That's why in the shot, like the scene at night when they're on that bleak, desolate highway and they kill the cop and they kill those people... It's very l- tightly lit and like it's all blackness around them, and that's contrasted by the next day when it's the good guys investing in the scene and they're sur- just, just surrounded white. by white, like bright whiteness. Um, oh, in that scene, um, I noticed that the uh, license plate on the police cruiser says "police." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I wonder if is a nod to like small town police departments where they can actually do that, or I doubt it. I mean, it's just a Coen Brothers joke. Yeah, I don't know. Um, one of my favorite shots in this movie is the one after the meeting with Wade and Stan, where you look down from the top of the office park onto the lone car in the big empty parking yeah. lot. Yeah. That was Deacons' idea. The Coens wanted to have like a whole bunch of cars in that parking lot. But once they got that in there and there was like one other set of tire tracks, he just loved the optics of that. So he went to them and was like, hey guys, why don't we do it like this? And they're like, sure. And oh, cool! Makes for one of my favorite shots. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's a gorgeous scene. And then it's it's also mirrored later on when Buscemi is trying to find the license plate for the for his car. Yeah, like the, he circles around and it's just this one set of tracks in this like very barren parking lot. And I liked how that was like referencing the previous shot. Yeah, 
Um, he also says that they wanted to go for a very intentional change in tone um, right when they introduce margin norm because up until that like things have been kind of accelerating towards like violence 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 and like grizzly and then we kind of get this slow panning shot across like norm's artwork and the music changes and then we introduce our protagonists oh yeah so it's really uh interesting thing there and the last thing which is a kind of an inside thing is he says he has never seen a colored page in a coen brothers script and he's been working with them since like 1991 oh wow but like for people who have don't really know what i'm talking about like when uh, movies go through rewriting processes and like when something is being changed as they're filming new pages will come in on different colored paper so you'll start with a script that's white and as like you're going through rewrites you're like okay this scene has been rewritten so you get yellow pages that go in or like oh, okay. this other scene has been rewritten again so you get pink pages that go in and Roger Deakins says that in all of his years working with the Coen brothers, he has never seen a colored page in a Coen script. Huh. That's very interesting. Well, they are prepared. Yep. Uh, my one last thing. This isn't from uh, Roger Deakins, but this is one of the things that I, I love. Um, TV edits. Uh-huh. Like the lines that they change. And one of the most famous ones of all time is from another Coen brothers movie. Uh, one of the most famous TV edits of all time is from The Big Lebowski, where they change... This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass to mm. this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Oh, okay. <laughs> and in this one, there's a great TV edit, which is we'll just sit here in total fucking silence to total fruitless silence. Hmm. That's <laughs> not the same. <laughs> it's not the same not at the all. It's not the same at all. <laughs> but I do remember one time watching this movie on like cable and Steve Buscemi goes, total fruitless silence. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not the line. <laughs> Well, why don't you just go fuck yourself? Right? <laughs> um, I do have one one in here that it made me laugh. Um, uh, one line from uh, when Margie is meeting Mike uh, at the dinner, and uh, he starts to break down, and he goes, "You're such a super lady. <laughs> super I'm so lonely." <laughs> and that was—it's like, oh. one of those lines. Where it's like I remember saying that. Like I think this. I is think I remember from. saying like, "You're such a super lady." <laughs> I'm so lonely. <laughs> I, I, I'm just so glad that that Craig that you picked Fargo because this I think is my favorite Coen Brothers movie, and the, I love the Coen Brothers so much that that puts this super high in the ranking for my favorite movie of all time. And yeah. It's, it's really up there for me. It's it's hard for me to really pick one movie, but this is definitely one of the ones in in the running if I had to pick one. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite Coen Brothers. It's like, it's up there. I don't see it that often. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, it's one of those movies where, like, watching it, it's... I mean, I don't want to say not a lot happens, but, I mean, not a lot happens. I mean, it's pretty straightforward in terms of, like the progression of events right so it's like one of those movies where it's like pretty easy to remember it it's like yeah, pretty it, memorable like it's pretty like straightforward and like what it does but it also does it so well that it sticks with you it's not as like convoluted as the big lebowski or something like that. yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's a pretty straightforward story yeah but, right which yeah. is what i enjoy about it because i mean sometimes you know like i i don't know i feel like i'm a, a decently smart person but like sometimes i'm just watching movies and i'm just like why like why do we need to go around and around with this like oh yeah why can't we just like right. make a point or like why can't we just like have a story like without like trying to do like 18 misleads yeah. or I, I without myself, trying to do like yeah i find myself like a particularly new movies um like 
tried to find like okay is this scene gonna have any effect on the overall arc of the story like, <laughs> like why is this and then it kind of pulls me out of it you know where i'm like focusing on it's like they didn't need any of this shit why they introduce any of this character and like Nicolas well, Cage, where the fuck are you all the way over here now? Well, you know? yeah, like we just watched a movie, or we just reviewed right. a movie that totally suffers oh. from that. That uh. just like wild misleads and plot threads that go nowhere. It didn't so, need to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's really good to watch this. And I, I probably watch this movie every like two or three years. Yeah. I'm surprised I don't watch it more. Um, I think, I mean, I love it. It's so great. I was so, I'm again, I'm so glad Craig picked this um just because you know it's it's one of those movies that i'm just so glad i'm able to revisit and and realize that like shit this is probably one of my more favorite coen brothers movies and and it's it's a unique coen brothers movie it's super unique coen um movie, yeah. and i know we said that with the brother where art though but this is i mean almost there's there's not even a movie like it you know out there because uh, it's just so there's there's juxtaposed things in it but it's not so stark that like that's why that's what you remember from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's very Coen Brothers, but it's not um, like a movie that you can tie like a line between. Like you can you can totally draw a line from like Hail Caesar to like Hudsucker Proxy to Big Lebowski right. to like or like in on the other side of things you, like Miller's Crossing to Barton Fink to Blood Simple. Like movies like that, they all like are very similar like in tone and and in construction. But this one is is really different, and O Brother is really different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that wraps me up, guys. Yeah, I think I'm I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Craig. Good yeah. pick. Yes. Um. Well, that uh that wraps us up for our review of Fargo. Um. Join us the next week for our review of Burn After Reading, which is going to be Colin's pick. Yes. This is one of those. Uh, lesser valued or lesser known Coens, but I think it's a really brilliant movie and one of the ones that not as many people are familiar with. It so. slipped through the cracks. Yeah, it's one of their ones that, that did slip through the cracks and I think it's so great. No, oh, so, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm looking uh, very I'm very much so forward to it. Wow, words are really <laughs> hard. Very forward I'm very much so to. forward to looking. Yes, <laughs> I'm looking that way towards the movie that will be in my future. Um, I think I've only seen it once, so that's what I'm. Oh, so you're in for Yeah, I'm. I'm very <laughs> excited. Um, if you're listening to this now as of recording, this is August seventeenth. It is uh, Burn it's, After Reading is on, on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. So, um, congrats. We actually did you guys a public service of where to find these movies. Um, don't expect it every week. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, uh, on to uh, corrections and omissions from last week, which would be Valerian. Um, I don't have any really. Yeah, I mean, I would have to like research it or see it again and i have I just no don't intention really care. of seeing yeah, it again no. like if it's on tv and i'm like doing something else i'll put it on in the background but doesn't doesn't topher grace edit movies and post he did, on youtube like, did he do a thing where he edited like the phantom menace into like a the, one hour actually thing? episode one through three. Oh, he, really yeah he edited it down so it's just the good shit and like it's actually really good is what i heard wow he should do that with valerian yeah that's all i'm saying Okay. Um, that's my correction and omission from Larry. Is it a call to Do Topher Grace? Yeah. To edit this movie. Yeah, because you know Topher Grace, he's our he's our celebrity fan. If you didn't know, <laughs> that's not true. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that off air. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a bald place lie. Um, <laughs> Shame. I know. Anyways, 
Um, Who are you, the Coen brothers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just for my own amusement. Um, well, on to uh, what? The Rickety Wreck to the, to the recommendations. What you guys got? Um, I will recommend... Oh, hello. It's, oh, yeah? Uh, did you yeah. see it? I did, yeah. Uh, it's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, hello on Broadway on Netflix. It's uh, uh, Nick Kroll and John, John Mulaney, yeah. who are two of my favorite comedic people. Um, I definitely like, I probably like John Mulaney a little bit more, but Nick Kroll's pretty cool too. You know, he's all right. I, I love those characters on Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. Like when I've seen them there, I think they're super funny. So I haven't watched it yet. I don't, I don't know why. It's just one of those things I kept putting off. Oh, I feel like you it, so. particularly would love it. Oh, like, I'm it is sure 100% like full on theater geek, like, I'm surprised with, like, you haven't seen comedy. it. I, like, I know. It's I like, know. it's like, it's. It's like for not just like comedy fans, it's for like comedy nerds and for theater nerds. So it's like, like a it waiting is, for Guffman type of uh, like niche thing. It's yeah, it's it's really, really, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I was like watching it and I was like, I can see a lot of people probably not liking this, but I fucking love the shit out of it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I will recommend Oh Hello. Watch it on Netflix. Noted. <laughs> uh, previously I have recommended the podcast James Bonding it is now back um, as a result of its return I revisited something uh, that I really love uh, you can find it on Amazon it is a documentary called Everything or Nothing the Untold Story of 007 oh. it uh, just is a documentary telling basically the history of James Bond from uh, creation by Ian Fleming up until basically the beginning of the Craig era and it's got interviews with every Bond except for Sean Connery. Uh, all the producers do interviews in it. Uh, like people from the studio do interviews in it. And it is worth watching for Timothy Dalton's like antic like commentary alone. Just be like, we were doing it, and I went to them and I was like, what do you want from me? <laughs> do you want to go back to what <laughs> what Roger was doing, or can we go to Fleming and make this come alive? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, it's great. You've got to watch it just for Timothy Dalton. It's so good. Damn, I didn't know he was such a thespian. Oh, he's he was. They got him from uh, Shakespeare before he was doing Bond. Oh. They pulled him off like the Royal Shakespeare stage. Those are my like favorite that. people. Like, um, uh, that's why I love the podcast. I was there too because then you like those people pop in and you're like, whoa, yeah. I didn't know that Biff from. Uh, Back, Back to, to the, the Future was such a thespian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like that guy, holy or, shit. Or like Con Stapleton from Deadwood is going to open this episode doing a Shakespearean monologue. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> or um, what was the guy that played the Emperor who was just like, I mean, he was oh, all yeah, so good. Yeah. Like he was just like, he was like nothing but dramatic pauses. I bet <laughs> Gorley was just like, Oh my god. You know, this is a double down recommendation because we've already recommended it, but I was there too. <laughs> yeah. I was there too is another great one. Um uh yeah. Yeah. So uh are you are you done? Yeah, that's my, re <laughs> my recommendation is Everything or Nothing, the Untold Story of James Bond. Oh, right on. Um I have one. Uh it's a video game recommendation for the Nintendo three DS. Um I picked up a Zelda a link between worlds. Um Zelda game. I haven't picked up a Zelda game in a while. I love it. It's great. It's um, it plays as like I I haven't played any handheld Zelda games. I'm sure. Have you guys ever played a Game Boy version Ooh, of Zelda? I can't say that. Actually, yeah. I did play like the Game Boy 
Like okay. Game Boy, original Game Boy version. So, so that's like the branch that like held on to the tried and true classic Zelda way like to play. The, the NES one. The yeah. top down Zelda where you have like, you're like in a screen and like you can do whatever the shit you want in your screen, but then you can go like left, right or up or down and then it moves, it shifts the whole you yeah, know, thing yeah, the yeah, whole over. Is. And that's how this plays and it's great. It's, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. That's, that, that's really cool. Yeah. And um, I think there's, I, I just started it. So like I haven't really figured out because you know how each Zelda game has like kind of like a niche to it. That, like oh, makes yeah. it you know unique to the other ones. This one, um, I just got introduced to like the world demon, and the demon turns people into paintings. And so I think uh, that plays into it, where like uh, you turn into like a two D version, and then like the whole gameplay changes. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's my uh, that's my recommendation. Legend of Zelda: a Link Between Worlds on the 3DS. Um, hey, do you have any James uh, James Bond connections? For... Oh no. Oh, um, no. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Although I do have one thing I, I am now remembering that I forgot to mention. Um, I have a really weird and tiny tangential connection to this movie. Oh, you do. Um, Norm is played by a wonderful character actor named John Carroll Lynch, a guy yeah. who you see in like everything. everything. But um, he is the son of my dad's former law partner. Oh, yeah. So like, my dad knows that guy. Huh. Or at least my dad like very well knows that guy's dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a thing. Anytime I see John Carroll Lynch in a movie, I'm like, hey, <laughs> my cousin. <laughs> and it's like, I have a very loose, weird connection to that actor. <laughs> well, this is the last episode you hear Colin because he's taken off to Hollywood. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is not taking a step. He is forgetting about the little guy. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck, Colin. I'm calling up my good friend John, and he's gonna break me into Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, you guys got anything else like to say before we wrap this baby up? Uh, punch every Nazi. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I will. Punch I will definitely the say just, special announcement. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's just say no to Nazis in general. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah um you know there's a lot of horseshit out there and i know there's it's a lot of just well just not gonna really get into it outside of just saying we all know there's a lot of horseshit out there in the year 2017 <laughs> right now and uh regardless of what the fuck you believe you should believe that nazis but suck nazis are yeah. bad. and they deserve <laughs> I mean, a good fucking like, hit well, in the face like, let's all yeah. be fine having like political views and everything but can't we all agree that nazis are bad yeah, yeah. i mean that's it's pretty easy it's super simple yeah we just did it I mean, yeah, if, if there's some issues you have with that, then you really need to take a deep look at yourself. I, yeah, but, how about you don't listen to my podcast? Yeah. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's a great way to end this podcast, just saying punch the Nazis. Punch the Nazis. Yeah, punch every Nazi. Yeah. Um, Where can yes. they find us, Dennis? Oh, you can find this podcast on Twitter at IWYTWT, as well as um, SoundCloud.com forward slash IWYTWT, where you'll find all of our episodes where i upload them with proper grammar yeah, i swear um you can follow each of us individually on twitter i'm at the debucks i'm at catharticus i'm at colin munch and you can follow our podcast as well on facebook facebook.com forward slash iwytwt and uh hey uh i am in fact setting up our paypal account onto our soundcloud uh website again that's soundcloud.com forward slash iwytwt and if you like what you hear and we'd like to hear more podcasts from this cool trio of dudes or maybe just one of us and someone else that you haven't heard from yet. Donate some money so we could fire up a second podcast. That'd be cool. 
Um, and if you enjoy the podcast, write us a five-star review wherever you listen to it. Uh, and if you write us a review, we'll read your name on the podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, you. W- I swear to God, we will. That's that's a threat you can live by. Uh, we've done it before, and we do it again, but we ran out of names. Uh, so we're relying on you, dear listener. Write us a review. We'll read your name. All right. Um, that that does it, right? Yep. We, we yeah. hit all the bases. Yeah. Thank you, Movie Pod Squad. Thank you, Potter and Family. Um, great communities. Hashtag Movie Pod Squad. You guys rock. Um, shout out to Mirror Fears, mirrorfears.bandcap.com. Great music by Mirror Fears. Local electronic music from Denver. Anyways, before I keep rambling, I'm going to wrap up this, this episode. This, that's a review of Fargo. Join us next week for a review of Burn After Reading. All right. Thanks. <laughs>